Amen. If you would, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. The Gospel of Luke chapter 18. Before I forget, if any of you turned in an individual goal sheet, I will try to hand this to you back before you go home today, okay? If I forget, you can come hunt me down. I've got all the goal sheets here. Um, I've got all pictures of them, so I'm hoping to send a picture by text to you once a month as a reminder to your goals. And we're gonna talk about what we can do in our meeting later today. But uh, please don't, don't forget that. And we'll talk more about those in just a moment. Let's look together in Luke chapter 18. And we're going to start by reading verse 1 through 8. And this is King James here this morning as we get started. <clears throat> Luke 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? What a question, right? When Jesus comes, will he find faith on the earth? Do you believe in Jesus today? Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in the truth of heaven and the truth of hell? Do you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in the power of forgiveness? Do you believe in the power of love through the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Will he find faith on the earth? This is from George Mueller. You guys, do you know George Mueller? Uh, he was one of the, the most uh, unbelievable prayer warriors ever recorded in church history. And he has stories and stories of an orphanage that he ran where he would have nothing and he would pray and God would deliver over and over again. I want you to hear what he says this morning about prayer. It was already a real challenge to me. He said, it is a common temptation of Satan to make us give up reading of the word and prayer when our enjoyment is gone. As if it were of no use to us to read the scriptures when we do not enjoy them, and as if it were no use to pray when we have no spirit of prayer. The truth is that in order to enjoy the word, we ought to continue to read it. And the way to obtain a spirit of prayer is to continue praying. The less we read the word of God, the less we desire to read it. And the less we pray, the less we desire to pray. There's some truth in that, isn't there, right? Have you ever just got a little weary in your devotional life? I guess I need to check off this box this morning. I know I'm supposed to. It's like medicine. I know it's good for me. But what he's reminding us of is the more that we do the things that we need to do, then the better we feel about them. 
I'm in a season right now of almost no exercise, which is bad. And it's hard to get started, isn't it, right? I know I need to, but I got all do this, all this stuff. I don't have time to exercise. But I can still remember in my mind from just a few years ago, when I made the time and I made that commitment, it got better to where I really enjoyed that and I enjoyed how I feel, how I felt then. But I've got to step back into that enough to get going to where it becomes enjoyable, right? Today, some of you are that way in the Word of God. You hear a little bit of on Sunday. You might hear a song on the radio a little bit. You may tap the verse of the day once in a while. But you're just really taking a little bit of an appetizer of the Word of God throughout the week, aren't you, right? And I'm challenging you. George Mueller is challenging us. Get the full helping of the Word of God. For your preacher this morning, it's prayer, right? Prayer sometimes is just duty, it's work, but when you really take the time to enter the presence of God, that it becomes something that you have to have. I always want to encourage us today to keep praying. When I saw your guys' goal sheets, I was so encouraged about how many people are praying for our church. And I want to tell you, and maybe I miss reading the signals, I don't know, but I feel like more people have recently made commitments to pray for our church And I want to say that in just recent weeks, we have seen the fruit of that already. Already God has been moving and working and drawing, and we've been seeing more people interested and more people coming, more people that we've had opportunity to minister to. And I think that's a lot of that is based on the idea that we are praying like we should be praying. So please, what I want to challenge you with, if nothing else today, is don't quit praying. If you feel like quitting, I'm telling you today, Don't quit, and the Lord is hopefully going to encourage you with that message today. Look at verse 1 again, chapter 18. Then Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and what? Not give up. Don't quit. Don't give up. Praying oftentimes is work, and it can be one of the hardest things to work at. But here's this reminder today of the value of prayer and an encouragement to not quit praying. Do you ever just want to give up? Right? There was probably a few people this morning that aren't here, that they woke up, and they're like, oh, I'm just exhausted. I'm tired. I know it'd be good for me to go, but not today. Today I give up. <laughs> you ever been that way in reading the Word of God? Ever been that way in praying, right? I know what I need, but not today. Sometimes we give up waiting for God to act. We know that in the scriptures, right? What happened to Abraham and Sarah? God promised them. He promised them this is what's going to happen. You're going to have a son. You're going to have descendants like the stars of the sky. And Abraham was in his 90s and Sarah's in her 80s. (laughs) You're going to have all these children. Well, I believe God. I believe he can do it. A few days go by, a few weeks go by, what happens? Why isn't the Lord acting? Well, I guess he just wants me to take care of this myself, right? And so what does Abraham do? We have Hagar, we have Ishmael, we have a whole centuries of fighting because Abraham would not wait on the Lord. He gave up, but he should have not quit. 
And we know Abraham's testimony, and he's incredible. And the Lord uses us in spite of our failures. But our challenge this morning is keep praying and keep waiting in prayer when the Lord has made uh, the promise to you of what he wants to do. Sometimes, again, it's not always easy to know the difference. Well, look at Jesus as he shares this parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Look down in verse 2. Excuse me. Jesus said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. So who is this widow coming to? She's coming to what Jesus says is an ungodly or an unjust judge. He was no respecter of persons, divine or otherwise. He wasn't going to be persuaded to help someone because they were poor and needy or even because it was the right thing to do. This is really important in this story because Jesus is comparing our heavenly father with the unjust judge, right? The unjust judge... He was just doing his job. He was just getting paid. He didn't really care about justice, and he didn't care about helping the needy. He just wanted to get his paycheck and go on home, right? Sometimes we work with people like that as well, don't we, right? They don't care about God. They don't care about truth. They don't care about justice. They want their paycheck, and they'll do the next thing. But Jesus is going to contrast this judge with his heavenly Father. Now, let's look just for a second at the widow. What do you know about widows in the, old, in the New Testament, excuse me, New Testament time frame. Again, we don't know the whole story, but most likely if you were a widow in this time frame, you were not wealthy, right? You were probably poor. And because of that, it would be easy to take advantage of someone in that situation. I've noticed it's really hard for me today in, a, in our technology world, so many older people are being taken advantage of, aren't they? Right? One of my friends at work, she has, her mother used to work in technology, and her mom was pulled into a scam where she gave thousands of dollars to someone because of the way that they worked out the phishing scam on her computer, right? People will take advantage of others who are poor, who are needy, who are in in desperate situations. Someone was taking advantage of this widow. Now, some people, again, depends on who the situation is, they can be bribed, right? (laughs) They can be persuaded with money, but this widow would not have money to bribe the judge with. She is just going to try to get an audience. Um, She didn't have money, but what did she have? By the way, this is what you have too today. She had persistence. I don't care if you got a billion dollars or a dollar to your name or you're in debt for thousands of dollars, Everybody in this room today can possess this attribute. That attribute is persistence. That's a powerful thing to think about. And Jesus is telling his audience to think about what they have in themselves. She faced rejection, but she kept persisting, and ultimately she found resolution. Rejection, persistence, and then resolution. Have you ever been rejected? We talked about in Sunday school this morning a little bit, right? Not easy, right? Have you ever asked for something and got turned away? 
Some of you may have a story about the person that you fell in love with, and it was a few times of being rejected before you got through, right? What won the day in those cases? Persistence. Isn't that interesting? This widow, in her poverty, possessed persistence. And because of that, she was able to see a difference. If you've ever felt like God is listening, if you've ever felt like you just want to, you feel like God has been rejecting your plea or your cry, the Lord Jesus is encouraging you today, don't quit. Be persistent. Because that's what the widow kept doing, didn't she, right? Can you just see that, Judge? I can, right? He's opening the door on Monday morning, and he sees the line, and he looks down about eight back, and he's like, oh, man, there's that widow woman again. Why does she keep coming? I told her no. I was really clear about it. She's coming back again. It comes Wednesday, opens the door to see. There she is again. And finally, what what is going to change his mind? Is it because of her poverty, because of her adversary? She comes and she lays out her case time and time again, but she will not quit. And it's that not quit that makes a difference. Excuse me just a second. (coughs) Oh, boy. The Lord's message today to us is to keep coming to him or to start coming to him or to come back to him. Don't quit. Don't quit. This is from Ted Ingstrom. He says, it would seem almost self-evident that the organization attempting to be sensitive to its role as part of the kingdom of God should discover times when the most appropriate response is to put aside all normal business and have an extended time of petition and praise. Most members of Christian organization will have a strong desire to undergird that organization in prayer at all times. However, now look at this. If times of corporate prayer are relegated to after hours, the message we transmit is this. The work is more important than prayer. Consequently, we haven't time to stop working to pray. We'll have to do that after we're through working, and you get the point. I'm asking the Lord to speak to you today and you to speak to one another today. Here's the challenge that the Lord's been sharing with me. I think sometimes we put the work ahead of our time with the Lord. We haven't pushed for this a long time in our church, but I remember back in Illinois pushing for prayer. We could get people to come Sunday morning, get people to come Sunday night, but if we had a dedicated time of prayer, we'd have like two or three people show up for that. Brothers and sisters, that should not be. When Jesus got so upset that he turned over the tables because the money changers were doing their business, what did he say about the place where he was? He said it was a house of prayer, but you made it a what? A den of thieves, a den of robbers. I'm afraid sometimes we rob ourselves of what God could do in and through us in our community because we're more concerned about what our task is and what our work is and our accomplishments instead of just coming before the throne. And I can call for a time of prayer, but me calling for it, we know that isn't necessarily going to mean people will draw in. But if you guys will hear the word of the Lord and the Spirit will move on our hearts and the Lord calls us together, 
we can once again really make prayer the important place that it needs to be in our church family. And I know in your own individual life, you have prayer times and you have prayer for yourself and for your family and for God's work. But I'm reminded today, I think God is calling us again for corporate prayer, that it would be a priority in our church family. It wouldn't be a byword. So you ask the Lord to lead us in that today. You guys know how the story goes. The judge gives in, he's tired. He doesn't want to hear it anymore. He says, let's get it over with. And the widow's persistence pays off. And then comes a resolution, and then comes a justice. Look down at verse 6. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Here's the point. The unjust judge, he does for the widow just out of her persistence. He doesn't care about her. He doesn't have anything he owes to her. He doesn't really notice her other than her persistence. He would rather have nothing to do with her. But the truth of the the fact here is this, that your heavenly father, he loves you. (laughs) He cares about you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to do things for you speedily because you are his chosen. That's the difference between this ungodly judge and the judge that we are praying to, amen? He cares. Not only that, we have an advocate with that judge, amen? Right, Jesus is our advocate as we go before the judge. All right, just a few truths here as you hopefully take with you this morning as you think about this first part of this uh, section in Luke. Jesus' truth to us is that God will bring justice quickly to his own, quickly, of course, in his time, and so we have here a reminder to pray for justice. I'm going to challenge you here a little bit this morning. This widow, she is pleading for justice. Again, not necessarily what we want, but for what is right. That's hard, isn't it, right? Most of the time when I pray, I pray for what I want. And here the challenge is to pray for what is right, what is justice. Again, when ultimate justice comes, Who will be waiting? Who will be watching? Who will be praying? Will Jesus find faith on the earth? Don't give up on justice and don't give up on God. Seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly, right? We know those scriptures to be true. So this morning, first thing I want you to think about, what have you given up on? Or maybe who have you given up on? Is there somebody you prayed for a lot? You pray for them to come to Christ. You pray for God to speak to their heart and you finally like, I don't even hardly really pray for them anymore. I know that they're just not going to change. When you were here at Big Mike's funeral, (laughs) Anna and and Michael both shared about there was a season where they had pretty much had given up that God could do anything. And yet the Lord wasn't done in that situation, was he, right? Who have you given up on? Pray the Lord encourage you again not to quit. We need to persist in prayer. And here's my challenge to you this morning And again, especially all those of you that made commitments. So many of you made a prayer commitment. Thank you so much for that. We need to persist in prayer for our church. Can I just be real honest with you, some of you today? Do you ever get tired? Well, I keep coming to this great big building. There's still like 25 people there, maybe 15 some days. Is God ever going to do anything? 
That same preacher gets up there and he does the same thing. He tells the same stories. Preaches way too long. Is God ever going to do anything? At least we could get some good music. Will God ever give us a band and some drums and a nice electric guitar? But no, it's the same songs. It's the same. Is God ever going to do anything? And I want to tell you, God has been doing things. Amen? He has. If you were at Big Mike's funeral, you saw the influence of that. If you could have sat in that room Wednesday night, you could see where God has been challenging and changing and moving and working, where people are drawing closer to the Lord. He is at work. But sometimes we just want to quit. I'm saying the Lord's telling us today, don't quit. Keep knocking. Keep praying. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Don't give up. When the Lord comes back, will he find faith in your life? D.L. Moody said it this way. Man, that was so good. He said, if you have so much business to attend to that you have no time to pray, depend upon it, you have more business on hand than God ever intended you should have. That is good, isn't it? Well, I'd love to pray, but I got to go to work. I'd love to pray, but I got to go help my friend. I'd love to pray, I got to go take care of this situation. I'd love to pray, but these computers aren't working. I'd love to pray, but this car is broken down. I'd love to pray, but my friend's over there in the hospital. I'd love to pray, but I'm just completely out of energy. I need to get my sleep. I'd love to pray, but I'm too busy. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one convicted, but that's pretty powerful, isn't it? If you're too busy to pray, then you're doing things God never intended for you to do. The challenge is to us today, again, get on our knees and ask and see the Lord move, and then we'll know the business that he intends for us to do. I was reading a little story last night, and I, I'm going to mess this up, but at least give you the general idea. When D.L. Moody first started preaching there in Chicago, there were some old ladies at the church, and they liked him, but they just thought he was missing, really, the power of the Lord. And so they started praying for D.L. Moody. And they started praying, and finally, they had a conversation with him and basically kind of told him, you're doing good, but boy, you could be a lot better if you really had the power of the Lord. And then D.L. Moody started praying with these ladies until prayer became the great motivator in his life. And after that happened, D.L. Moody, he said he preached the same messages, but now there were hundreds of people coming to the Lord. What was different? The Lord was in it, right? You can be entertaining, you can be educated, you can be persuasive, you can be informative, but if you don't have the power of God, you're not going to see anything change, are you, right? You can be boring and straightforward and not have any great stories, but if the power of God is in your speech, what is going to happen? He's going to transform people, and that is built on the foundation of prayer. And again, I'm preaching to myself more than any of you today. The Lord, help us not to quit. Let's be people of prayer. Look at a second quick story about prayer, and we'll be done this morning. Look at verse 9. Luke says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this guy. <laughs> That's Travis Penology right there. This tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give him a tenth of all I get. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, 
but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, we have another parable, another principle of the kingdom. The Pharisee comes in to pray. Who is the Pharisee? Again, we have to correct our thinking, because when we think of Pharisee, we automatically think of negative, because of stories like this. But in Jesus' day, the Pharisee, this is who they were. They were upstanding. Who's one of the most upstanding citizens that you know in your community today? Think about that person and then think of that title, Pharisee, going along with that. They were devout. They didn't take things lightly. They did things on a regular basis. They showed up to everything. They were very consistent and diligent and hardworking and detail-oriented. They were those kind of people. They were influential, right? People respected what they had to say. They followed their teachings. They followed their commands and their authority. They were disciplined. I mean, if anybody was disciplined, the Pharisees were disciplined. I was talking about my exercise problem. A Pharisee, you wouldn't catch. They would not be overweight. They were extremely disciplined. As it came to following the rule of the law, that was their, their whole goal of life. And I don't know about you, but I respect, respect disciplined people, don't you? I think because I don't see it so much in myself. But if I see somebody else that can be disciplined in their finances or disciplined in their exercise or disciplined in their relationships, I really admire them. That's the kind of people that the Pharisees, that they were. And so for that reason, they were worthy of honor. But what could happen is what? It could get to their head, couldn't they, right? Pharisee comes into, and again, this is a little penology today, but to help us think about what happened, he comes into the church and it's time to pray. Maybe this is one of those churches everybody prays out loud. And so what's the Pharisee do? Where's he at in the room? He's somewhere up front. I don't, and I don't even know, again, but just so you kind of get the effect, my guess is, is that instead of he was probably less likely praying this way, he was probably more likely praying this way. Right? Do you know what I'm saying? He had an audience, and it wasn't God, was it? Right? His audience was anybody else that could hear his Prayer. Now, again, that's a little penology. You check that out and make sure you think that's true. But his desire as he speaks to God is for God. Really, it's almost like he says to God, boy, aren't you glad I'm on your team? You probably couldn't do this without me very well, right? Again, look at what he says. I thank you that I'm not like the other people. I'm not like the robbers. I'm not the evildoers. I'm not adultery. And I'm definitely not like this tax collector. Even in his prayer, he judges and he tears down somebody else who needs to know the Lord. Doesn't that kind of bite a little bit today? If you, by elevating your righteousness, is tearing and pushing someone else away from the Lord, you are definitely in the wrong place, right? And so I think that's a powerful thing. He is proclaiming, again, who he is. His confidence is in himself, not in God. Again, there's almost an element of like, God, I think you owe me a little bit. Aren't you glad I'm so good? But look with me at the tax collector. Again, the, this our idea of tax collector, you may not like the tax collector too much, an IRS agent, but this is way worse than that. You know who the tax collectors, what they were doing, Right? 
So there's a time of Roman oppression here in Israel. Rome has come over, they've taken control. And what did Rome do whenever they took control of a place? They levied a Roman tax on all of those places and a Roman tax on Israel. So who are the tax collectors? They are fellow Israelites who are coming to take your money so that they can give it to the Roman government. And here's the other thing that usually happened. If Roman said, well, we need 20%, you know what the tax collector would tell you? Rome says we need 25%. Where'd the other 5% go? In the tax collector's pocket. You got it, right? So they were considered to be traitors. They were considered to be greedy and dishonest. They were worthy of saying exactly the opposite of what a Pharisee would be in that culture, right? If people saw a Pharisee and they saw a tax collector, they'd be like, I don't even want to hang around the tax collectors. Let me hang with the Pharisees. Those are people that are worthy of honor, of influence, people that are disciplined, but don't let me be around those types of tax collectors. Well, where does the tax collector show up when he comes to the synagogue to pray? Um, he probably barely made it in the door, right? And when he begins to pray, it's very interesting. Uh, the scripture says that he would not even lift up his face. He would not even look up to heaven. Do you see his heart attitude? The tax collector, oh boy, God, you're, you're a good God, but I'm, I'm great. <laughs> Let me tell you about me. Just no shame, no semblance of humility. But where was the tax collector when he came in? Have you ever been in a place where you were so ashamed, so embarrassed that you wouldn't look up? Right? I don't even want people to hardly know I'm here, right? And he walks in that room. But it is interesting to me, what does it say that he does? He is in agony over his sin. He recognizes who he is in the presence of Almighty God. And the Bible says he beats his breast and he cries out, be merciful to me. I need mercy because I'm a sinner. He acknowledged his need of God. And by the way, um, the Pharisee did not acknowledge his need of God, right? Quick little idea here from Spurgeon I thought was good. He says, in the original, the words are even fewer than they are even in English. And Spurgeon says this, he says, oh, that men would learn to pray with less of language and more of meaning. Did you hear that? Oh, that we would learn to pray with less of language and more of meaning. What great things are packed away in this short petition. God mercy, sin, propitiation, and forgiveness. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You're like, where's propitiation in that? <laughs> that idea, that word mercy is actually the word for the atonement cover. It's got that same root, the propitiation, the, the atoning sacrifice. His prayer is just a few words, but the meaning was, I need you, God. Can you cry that out today before the Lord? And maybe you've been doing it for the last year. <laughs> the first lesson tells us today, don't quit, right? And the second lesson today reminds us to cry out that very same prayer, I need you, God. 
My children aren't serving the Lord. I need you, God. My church family, somebody is really hurting and broken. I need you, God. I don't know where my provision's gonna come to pay for my bills or to, to take care of the needs that I need to take care of. I need you, God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Can you hear the Lord speaking today? He's saying, be like the tax collector. Most of us in here are probably more tempted to be like the Pharisee because you guys are diligent. You are disciplined when it comes to church. You are faithful. You invade this space on a regular basis. And yet God is crushing us today saying, don't forget how much you need me. The upstanding, devout, influential, disciplined, and worthy of honor Pharisee went away not justified, but the sinner was. Did you catch that? That's who God worked on. James 4.10, I can't not tell the story and not read this verse. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and what's the scripture say? He, he will lift you up. And this is the gospel. Not that we're good at fasting or praying or reading our Bible or being a good boy or being a good girl. The gospel is we need Jesus' work to be redeemed. We need his mercy, and we need it every day, and we've got to come to him every day, and we cannot quit coming. Last story this morning. Man, this is so powerful. Bear with me. It's a little bit lengthy, but a reminder of the importance of prayer. And as we talked about on Wednesday night, the importance of not forgetting our missionary friends as we keep persisting in prayer. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was a Scottish preacher, his name was Robert Moffat, and he was serving in South Africa. He returned to Scotland to try and list more missionaries. On a cold, rainy night, he went into a little church in Scotland. To his dismay, the only people in the service that night were women. And here's why. Back in those days, women didn't go alone to the mission field, so he started to cancel his message because there were no prospective missionaries there. But instead, he preached to them about the need for the Lord of the harvest to send forth more laborers. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> he made this statement. Every morning when I get up and I look at the horizon, I see the smoke from a thousand villages where the name of Christ has never been heard. Robert Moffat didn't know there was a teenager in that service. He was hidden up in the organ loft where his job was to pump the bellows for the pipe organ. The teenage boy, standing up in the organ chamber, heard every word he said, and he was haunted by that phrase, the smoke from a thousand villages where the name of Christ has never been heard. So this young man decided he would become a missionary. His name, by the way, was David Livingston. <laughs> he became a medical doctor and he went to Africa. He was not content to stay in South Africa where there were few native Africans. Instead, he explored the inner continent he was a great missionary and explorer. He was the first white man to traverse the continent of Africa from east to west, and he discovered Victoria Falls. He traveled over 29,000 miles and mapped 1 million square miles of previously uncharted territory. When David Livingston first began his ministry there, some of the native tribes opposed him. One particular warlike tribe said they were going to kill him and everyone in his party. One afternoon, as they were setting up camp, word was out that these warriors had been tracking him all day, and they were outside the camp, and they were going to attack and kill everyone when it got dark. 
I have the words of David Livingston wrote in his journal that night on January 14th of 1856. It is evening. I feel much turmoil and fear in the prospect of having all of my plans knocked on the head by savages who are just now outside the camp. Those who studied David's handwriting said you could even see the fear in the way he wrote the letters. He wrote, but Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. This is the word of a gentleman of most strict and sacred honor, so that's the end of my fear. I feel quiet and calm now. And then they said, even his letters are straight now. Well, they didn't attack that night, and later the tribe was brought to faith in Christ. A couple of years later, David Livingston asked the chief of the tribe, do you remember the night you were tracking my party yes we had heard rumors you were going to attack us the chief said that's right we were ready to attack the camp that night and kill you and everyone else and david livingston asked well why didn't you attack the chief said when we got close to camp we looked and we saw 47 warriors surrounding your camp with swords in their hands david livingston was baffled they didn't have any guards or any warriors Later, when he was on furlough in Scotland, he shared this story at a church that was supporting him. A man came up to him afterwards with his prayer journal. He said, look, I wrote it down, January 14th, 1856. Was that the night? David Livingston said, yes, that, yes, it was. The man said, that night a group of men came to pray for you. We prayed for your protection. I wrote it down. There were 47 men praying for you that night. Hello? The Lord just cracks on me. How many people are being defeated and torn down because I'm not on my knees in prayer? And how many people could be protected if we would surround them in prayer? Amen? Oh, God, help us to persist in prayer. And again, you got to follow the Lord's lead, and I've got to follow the Lord's lead, but I'm just begging you today. I think the Lord is telling us that prayer has to be a priority in our ministry. Will you persist in prayer? Will you humble yourself and let the Lord get the glory? Will you let him lift you up? Amen.